Well, hello, my name is Julia Benbrook and welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. This week we are talking about opioid addiction, the impact, legal settlements, and treatments. Our guest is Dr. Casey Shrum, president of the OSU Center for Health Sciences in Tulsa. She'll be discussing the funding that the university is receiving from the Purdue Pharma Settlement, which will go toward the OSU Center for Health Sciences Center for Wellness and Recovery. But joining me now is our director of media relations here at OSU, Monica Roberts, who actually interviewed Dr. Shrum. Now, Monica, you were telling me just how impressive Dr. Shrum is in both her career and her family life. It's something that a lot of people work to balance. And how does she do it all? Well, Julie, I wish I knew. She really is a superwoman. I'm a mom. I have three children. Dr. Shrum has three biological children and three adopted children. And she um, she just does everything. And it's amazing. When we were visiting, she told me that she actually had her three biological children when she was doing her her medical school, her internship, and her residency, which is wow, kind of amazing, really. But, you know, she and her husband, Darren, they just have a great family and they they do it all so well, you know, and equally in her life is her achievements professionally. Um, She was the first female president of a medical school in Oklahoma and the youngest president of a medical school in our state. And she went from joining the faculty there to becoming president in just around a decade. So it's really pretty amazing what she has done there. Just in the last year, she's also joined Governor Stitt's cabinet. And so she has got a lot going on and in learning a lot um, in all kinds of aspects in her role there across the state. Um, And so now she's having an impact statewide, which is really exciting for her. Well, we are lucky to get to be a part of that impact and to have her leadership in the OSU family. Now, the settlement and the Center for Wellness and Recovery are both featured in an article in State Magazine, which is hitting mailboxes this week. So you'll have to keep an eye out for that. But tell us, Monica, a little bit about the key points that you and Dr. Shrem discussed during this interview. Yeah, well, we talked about a lot of things, uh, and if the podcast could be an hour, we could let everyone hear all the things we talked about. But, you know, one of the the big headlines from this year was the settlement, uh, almost $200 million that our medical school received through a settlement with, between the state of Oklahoma and Purdue Pharma, which is the maker, the manufacturer of OxyContin, one of the most prevalent opioids on the market. And that's what our story in State Magazine uh, talks about. And, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, well, why did they select OSU to receive that funding? And and really, through Dr. Shrem's vision, really, um, our medical school got in early on uh, looking at opioid, the opioid addiction crisis and what could be done to change how medical schools teach about it and how we eventually treat those patients. And really, she started doing it because it was the right thing to do. And we were one of the first medical schools in the country to start that program in our curriculum. And, you know, Purdue heard about everything that we were doing. Uh, we were doing town halls across the state, talking about the crises and what our Center for Wellness and Recovery was doing about it. And when it came time to look at where the money should go, it was just a natural fit. Well, let's just get right to it then. Let's hear part of your interview. I know you guys actually sat down for about an hour. So we've got some of the main highlights here with Dr. Casey Shrem on this week's Inside OSU podcast. Well, one of our one of the fathers of one of our med students came and visited me uh, 
uh, probably in 2013, maybe a little bit earlier than that, and said, one, shared a book with me, but also said, hey, I think, you know, you're not doing this right. Mm. Which was, you know, kind of a challenging conversation, you know, um, talking about addiction, talking about the uh, overprescribing of mm-hmm. of pain medication, and so I, you know, I I, I listened and I, I read the book, and the book was really a, a compilation of stories of individuals who were either struggling with addiction or of parents who had lost children to mm-hmm. addiction, mm-hmm. which is a really um, compelling absolutely story. Heartbreaking. And um, really causes you to to think twice about maybe your preconceived ideas about how we were teaching, which made me really kind of reflect on my medical school uh, experience. And we didn't really talk about addiction. Right, right. We didn't. It wasn't in our curriculum. <clears throat> I think we, you know, all experienced this. There was a period of time where, I mean there was a big push that pain is the fifth vital sign and if you're not mm-hmm. treating your patient's pain you're not a good doctor or right. it's like checking blood pressure almost, yes right it, it is yeah. exactly yeah. and I think the idea that you know we should all be you know pain free uh-huh. and that's probably not a realistic thing for I mean obviously there are you know times in your life where you do need pain medication but we we need to be very careful with that and so it was kind of a a reflection for me at that time about you know we do need this in our curriculum Mm -hmm. and we do need to start talking about it because when we don't have it in our curriculum what we are telling our medical students is that it's not a medical problem right and that it isn't a a brain disease that it is you know a moral challenge and that you know that's doing a disjustice to our patients that struggle to citizens and it keeps, and it really is, you know, not preparing physicians that when we're looking at primary care and that's our main focus, that's also the front line. Those are the people who are going to encounter patients that may be struggling mm-hmm. and their ability and their comfort level <clears throat> to talk about it and to manage it is so important mm-hmm. to helping people get get care right. and to get into recovery and, and find that place of wellness. So that's when we started putting it in our curriculum and and to do that we had to you know we had to hire experts and so we started hiring experts and bringing those folks in and and as we did that I became more and more aware of really the challenges that the state was facing and you know I I moved back home when I came here I moved back to Kuwait I live in in the community that I grew up in and so one of my uh, sister's <laughs> friends called me on a we actually had it happen twice mm-hmm. um, during that time frame one of my sister's friends called me and said hey I need to talk to you about something we're a little bit I'm, I'm a little bit you know embarrassed about it but you know I've seen you in the paper or I've mm-hmm. seen you talking about this and I hope that you can help us but there her father who you know is a, a deacon in the church owns his own business very successful had had knee surgery Mm -hmm. and couldn't get off the pain medication and she said you know we can't find it 
we cannot find a place for him to be treated. I mean, we'll take him out of state. We just need you to tell us where to go. And so at that point, I recognized, you know, this is an underserved population. And again, kind of going back to that whole mission, Mission. Mm -hmm. we we need to start providing care and we need to engage in the community. It made me really recognize that we needed to provide a clinic. Mm -hmm. We needed to do more research. We needed to do more outreach. And so I really empowered uh, Jason Beeman, who's our chair of psychiatry, to really launch that initiative and support him in that effort. And through that, we really looked that's where the whole Center for Wellness and Recovery came out of. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've kind of put it together in stages, but really we started kind of hiring folks around the idea of the curriculum, and then it just, you know, kind of progressed to these needs within the state. Our idea was not to go out and, and kind of, you know, create our own addiction center initially, but it was to kind of partner with existing groups within the community mm-hmm. to bring a high standard of care right. for us to start to be able to measure outcomes that are occurring within the community and uh, to support those those agencies. Uh, we now, we opened an outpatient clinic, which is in partnership with Hazleton Betty Ford, mm-hmm. which you know, is, is wonderful. We use some of their treatment protocols. Um, so there's, it has just been a progression of, of resources that we've had. And then again, we, we launched the Center for Wellness and Recovery in 2017, which has four pillars, outreach, education, treatment, and research. And so those are kind of the four pillars that we're, we're growing around. Uh, we continue to expand. This year, we started an addiction medicine fellowship program, and we will continue to recruit researchers who have an interest in pain as well as addiction. So that's you know the other thing that we really are looking at in the Center for Wellness and Recovery is you know not just addiction, but how do we treat pain? It's still there. It's mm-hmm. a part of you know daily life, and as we you know go through life we experience pain what are the alternatives to opioids and and you know how can we play a role in that in helping people not just not just be in recovery but find that optimal health and wellness big headline obviously this past spring with the settlement with Purdue Pharma makers of Oxycontin 200 million being given to an endowment here to further push your program to, to really have far-reaching impact. Uh, obviously, this has been in the headlines, New York Times, CNN. I mean, it's been covered extensively. Are there any updates you can give us on what's going on there and, yeah. um, and, and really maybe the high points of the settlement and why you think uh, your program was chosen? Mm-hmm. I think that really this is one of those moments in time where many years ago we started doing something because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we were doing it early, right. as we you know just talked about. Not many people were doing it. 
the other medical school in the state had been had really done away with their addiction program as we were really ramping up and and we were one of the first medical schools in the United States to have that in our curriculum right so I think we were just the natural Mm -hmm. we were the natural place and because we had really made an effort through prior to the announcement of the Center for Wellness and Recovery we had traveled the state for rural health month and during that we focused on the opioid crisis and we had the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, the DEA, the Attorney General, we had physicians from every community, mm-hmm. our faculty, we had um, government officials join us for those and we did town hall meetings across the state yeah. and we really talked about the issues, had people come out following that the bedlam game that was at oklahoma state university the both teams had patches that they wore recognizing the opioid crisis and the work that we were doing to combat it and so following that we had a press announcement and so all of those events found their way into the media which in mediation with purdue and discussions about you know, the settlement, which was court ordered, mm-hmm. Purdue found all of that and recognized that the Center for Wellness and Recovery was there. It was already operational. They saw the vision of what we were trying to do in creating this national center of excellence in not just research, but treatment right. um, and advocacy. And that was the decision that they came to that, you know, the settlement would come and create a foundation that would support Oklahoma State Center for Wellness and Recovery. Um, that settlement is $197.5 million. So it we're really, you know, moving along, uh, continuing to do what we were doing. The settlement just, I mean, it, it just puts us light years of where Absolutely. we wanted to be. Right. Um, so there have been other headlines in the last year, one of which is... Um, a new medical school that we're establishing just southeast of Tulsa um, in partnership with the Cherokee Nation um, in Tahlequah. The first medical school located on tribal land in the United States. Mm -hmm. We've moved through the accreditation process and so the plan is to have 50 students on that campus in 2020. You know, it's, it's really exciting when you look at the Native American students in medical school across the United States. Um, both MD and DO schools, it's it's less than than um, 0.5%. Yeah. When you look at what we've done, and you know, I think the medical school there in Tahlequah has really kind of been the capstone, but it wasn't the beginning. Mm-hmm. It it we've started with outreach programs, and you know, building that pipeline bringing in Native American faculty, uh, you know, so that students have mentors. And so here on this campus, the last two years, 18% of our student body in the medical school have been Native American. Mm -hmm. So you compare that to the United States, um, we we have done a good job Mm -hmm. of creating that pipeline. Um, And and we look forward to seeing that grow. 
we just put on a camp this summer with uh, the Association of American Indian Physicians. That just happened here on this campus. And so we're just growing those partnerships. But I think it brings OSU's national recognition. Of course. And, you know, I've always been a huge fan of, of what the Sovereign, Na- Sovereign Nation Center mm-hmm. does there in right. Stillwater, Center for Sovereign Nations, does in Stillwater, supporting those Native American students and supporting that culture. And it, it's been really interesting for me as I've uh, worked closely with Chief Baker, gotten to know a lot of, uh, of his leadership uh, that's around him is how, you know, really closely aligned the philosophy of osteopathic medicine is, you know, that a person is mind, body, and spirit. And in order to find real health, there ha- you have to address all of those things. How well that philosophy fits with Native American sure. culture. Right. And so it's, it is really exciting to see that come about. I, I'm a, a strong believer that we receive and 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 hear the recommendations of our physicians and take those and um, are more compliant when we can connect with those individuals or they can connect with us and we can build those relationships so when when we looked at again back to our mission of serving rural and underserved Oklahoma we can't we aren't you know doing that well if we aren't partnering with the tribes across the state right because right. if you look at the map of the tribal nations and rural Oklahoma I mean they lay on top of one another mm-hmm. so it is a big part of of us you know meeting that rural population is placing physicians there that are Native American and so um, we're we're really excited about it I mean, uh, you go the Cherokee Nation, they're building a huge outpatient facility mm. that is just beautiful. And the medical school will sit just across the parking lot. Awesome. And between that, there's some green space mm. that they plan to have buffalo roaming on. Wow. And so I just, you know, I can't, Im- cool. I, I think it's so exciting, one, for the medical students to be next door to the hospital i mean from day one you know to feel like you're a part of that medical community not just the not just the medical school community but the medical community and to see you know patients coming and going but getting that cultural experience but then you know you want to take a study break and you go outside and you look at buffalo (laughs) Wow! Wow. (laughs) not many medical students will have that experience so pretty immersive yes that's awesome this past spring was Governor Stitt added you to his cabinet mm-hmm. as Secretary of Science and Innovation. Yes. What, what have you learned through that new experience? One of the things that I, I think has been the most rewarding is, is really getting to meet Oklahomans that are outside of the medical community mm-hmm. and learning about all of the industries across Oklahoma. Because one of you know Governor Stitt's focus is to really increase research in a way that drives commerce right, right. and so I'm learning about aerospace and and uh, oil and gas and in other industries that um, are are important to Oklahoma that are outside of medicine and really getting to work across the academic community in the state mm-hmm. with our, our other research institutions and um, one of the things that's been 
great is that really the governor likes to have different eyes on various things and but he has allowed me to align some of um, what I do here with science and innovation so Mm. a couple of my goals are, are one looking at workforce so STEM education which is something that you know I've been passionate about and creating you know pipeline programs into medical school Um, now looking at other STEM careers growing the physician workforce and residency programs that's one of the goals that I have with our nursing increasing the number of nurses in the state and then of course you know growing research in a way that um, expands commerce and so it, it's, it really has been, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. All right. Well, like we said earlier, Monica, you sat down with Dr. Shrum for nearly an hour and we did right. have to cut that down, but there were so many good topics in there. So fill us in on some of the things that we didn't hear throughout the podcast that you all went over. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me in, in visiting with her about her background was the impact that one person can have uh, when she was going through her undergraduate program, she had a professor who noted that she was doing exceptionally well in one of her science courses. And he said, have you ever thought about medical school? And he said, I think you've got what it takes. And I think that really, you know, she hadn't ever really thought about medical school before. She had very supportive parents who told her, you know, you can do anything. But it's one thing for your parents to tell you, because that's kind of what parents do most of the time. And, and that, you know, another thing for a professor or a teacher to take that interest in a student. And, and that inspired her to apply to medical school and then look at the impact she has had. So I love that story of how she got her start. And now she is giving back and going out and actively recruiting students from rural areas because um, that really is the singular mission of our medical school is how do we improve health care delivery in rural areas. And so um, she is going to, to FFA conventions and recruiting those FFA students to think about medical school and uh, because there's a very strong chance that they will go back to those rural communities um, and practice medicine. Well, Monica, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you all for listening to this week's Inside OSU podcast. I'm Julia Benbrook. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and we'll see you again next week.